Good morning, church family. Good morning. Um, we will be continuing on with our the heartbeat of a healthy church series through Titus. But I was very encouraged by uh, what Brother Daniel read out of Exodus 18, where Jethro, his father-in-law, gives him great advice. And you can see the spirit of eldership, spirit of team leadership back in the days of Exodus, where Moses is called to care for Israel. By this time, Israel may have been a million people. And so this is a significant task for Moses to care for all of Israel. Moses was called to teach the people. They said they wanted to hear from God. Well, certainly Ezra, uh, Moses served as a spokesman and, and a chief spokesperson. But he needed help teaching the people what God has said and even applying these things everyday matters of life. I could imagine Jethro sitting his son-in-law down and saying, you know what, son, you need a team. You need a team. You're going to get worn out doing it like this. As a matter of fact, the people are going to get worn out doing this too because they're not going to get the care that they need. The task is too large to be done alone to help you judge or lead this enormous nation. So therefore, you need to develop a team of leaders. And although that truth and that wisdom is so applicable for Israel and Moses, so it is for the local church as well. So it is for the local church where the church is called to be led by a team of men called elders. Titus 1.5 says, appoint elders, plural, elders in every city. Acts 14.23, it says that Paul appointed elders in every local church. So how do we build the team? This, so this sermon is going to help us to identify marks of godly leadership in the church. So the world will say, to answer this question, how do we build a team? The world will say, start with giftedness. Who is talented enough? Who has great ability? Who has secular success? Who's been a great businessman? Who's been able to do wonderful things in life? Who's respected in the community? Who has incredible personality to capture people and to, uh, uh, to help capture and, and move people in a very passionate way, perhaps? So this is what the world will say to look at. But what does God say? God says that in Exodus 18.21, God says to start with character. But you shall select or look for excellent men. When I hear excellent men, I think of men of beyond reproach, men who are above reproach. Those who fear God and men of truth. Those who hate greedy gain. Those men who are motivated by pure motives. Those who have character. And you shall place these men over, uh, over leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and tens. I mean, this was uh, Jethro's advice to Moses. Very clear what you're looking for, Moses. Out of the millions of people, these are what you're looking for. Men who are excellent or beyond reproach. I mean, this sounds very familiar to what we've been talking about. So we're going to continue on. If you have your Bibles, uh, uh, Titus 1, 7 through 8, it's going to be preached. I'll read 5 through 9 to add more context. And this is this portion will help us identify good teammates we need your help. The church needs your help to be able to identify good teammates who will serve on the elder team someday. 
And there's three qualifications that you're going to hear as I read this portion again. Number one, from last week we talked about elders need to have healthy homes. After all, church fathers need to be able to father their own homes well. Number two, this week, today, we're going to learn about the character of healthy leaders. And then number number three, in a few weeks, we're going to learn that elders must be able to handle doctrine and to be able to minister it well. So let's rise as we read Titus 1. I'm going to read 5 through 9, but 7 through 8 is where I'm going to preach today. And let's look at what healthy leadership looks like. Titus 1, verse 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if a man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that you've given us on what healthy leadership looks like. I pray your spirit will empower this time of preaching. And I pray, Father, your spirit will empower our hearing, Lord. Open the portals to our hearts so that your word is transferred from our ears to our minds right into our hearts so that we will love you more. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. This is another rather humbling portion of Scripture for any leaders or many, matter of fact, anyone in the church. Because as we look through these qualifications, these, uh, these character quali- uh, characteristics, not one of us uh, hold to these things perfectly, okay? Yet, hopefully, I pray that our eyes are drawn to heaven as we see, see the glory of God who, who lives these things out perfectly or embodies these things out perfectly. So just so we could follow along a little bit easier, I'm going to give you the three points ahead of time. Healthy leaders are marked by, number one, soul care. Soul care. Number two, healthy leaders are marked by submission. Submission. And third and finally, healthy leaders are marked by sanctification. Sanctification. As I got into the ministry in 2017, I quickly learned something. That pastoral ministry is perhaps one of the most misunderstood roles in all of America. Right, And I was a football coach at one time. My task was to develop football teams and to win games. My dad was a gardener for many years. For 40 some odd years, his job was to help the lawn and the yard to look nice. That's what it was. My, da- my friend's dad is a, ran an auto body shop. His job was to fix the cars, knock out the dents, and get cars back on the street. Right, So this is kind of was very clear, but in pastoral ministry... What is the role of the pastor? Is his job to kind of organize the budget? Is his job primarily to uh, organize programs and keep things going? We're going to find out right now what the role of the elder or pastor or overseer is. So let's look at the first mark. Healthy leaders are marked by soul care. Soul care. Verse 7, let's take a look at this. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward. 
Sounds like Jethro, doesn't it? Excellent men. I mean, in some ways, Jethro sounds like a, a father figure to uh, Moses, which he is. And Paul, who's a father figure to Titus and Timothy, says the same thing. Appoint elders. You can't do it alone, Titus, Timothy. But make sure these men are above reproach or beyond reproach or of excellent character, right? This is what these men say. And this word overseer, and out of verse 7, I want to explain this a little bit. Episcopos is the word. Some people translate this word for bishop. Certain church traditions use the term bishop. That's often referring to some kind of a church leader. And really, when, we, when Paul writes the overseer, he's really talking about the elder still. Let me explain again. The elder is basically talking about the person's qualifications, his spiritual maturity. He's like a father figure in the church. The elder is talking about the office of elder, okay? It's just like the president of the United States, Mr. President. Okay, we know who's talking about, but sometimes we call him the, or her someday maybe the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief portion describe his function as overseeing the military and things like that. So, so right here, Paul says the overseer, the bishop, must be beyond reproach. The overseer basically describes a function, one, one type of function of the elder, which is to oversee and have authority. This word, episkopos, carries the meaning of being a guardian, a guardian. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders, plural again, team leadership, obey your leaders, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. So what is the function of an overseer? What is he supposed to oversee? Our souls, our souls. Meaning, if you go to a, a doctor, a heart doctor, he's maintaining the health care of your heart, Right? If you go to a physical trainer, he's maintaining and helping oversee your fitness. A pastor, an elder, an overseer is called to oversee your soul care. So in other words, the elders are the authorized soul care providers of the church. Okay, these are, in some ways we're called to do this for one another, of course, as, as we have the 50 plus one another's in the New Testament. But the elders, the authorized soul care providers of the church. Meaning, that's who you go to as, as, as Moses could handle, or the, 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 the elders of, in Israel were called to handle the smaller matters. All right? In some ways, we're all called to handle smaller everyday matters with one another. However, some situations are a little bit harder than others. I need to go see Moses for this one. I need to go see the elders of Evergreen Baptist Church to help me in this situation. So the elders, I like how that sounds, the authorized soul care providers of the church. And um, in other words, they provide the oversight in the best interest of the soul care of Evergreen Baptist Church. So every decision that we do, whether ministry-wise or even budget-wise, it's to advance the best and provide the best soul care for Evergreen Baptist Church. For example, Elders and currently pastors and executive board members are doing things such as uh, praying for the members by name right now. We go through the membership list and we pray for you, church member, by name. We take chunks every week and we keep praying through these names. And once in a while we come across our names like, I'm not sure who he is. I'm not sure who she is. 
someone will chime in because I actually I haven't seen him or her in quite some time, maybe in a year, over two years. And then we start contacting these absent members. How are you doing? Did you find a different local church? How can we pray for you? We encourage you to find a local church that's teaching the Bible, that's going to provide soul care for you. This is what we're encouraging people who haven't been around. We're still praying for them. And, and we would even ask, is it okay we remove you from the membership? And many people are like, sure, that's fine. I found a new church. And others, it's been a little bit harder, quite frankly. So we're patient, and we're just teaching the church right now, as you're sitting here, what it means to be a member. The live stream login, we talked about that last uh, couple of months, maybe a m- couple of weeks ago, last month perhaps. We are compiling a list, and we're going to be actively reaching out to people who are regularly lo- uh, logging in on live stream. That's what that's for. We want to provide soul care. It's, it's not good enough that we just uh, do a service, and then that's it. We want to understand what, how our members are doing. The elders oversee the direction of Evergreen Baptist Church. Basically, we keep the church on track. We, we keep the church headed north. And what is our north? It's discipleship. Are we discipling one another well? Are we providing great soul care? And what the elders and the, and the leaders will provide oversight over is doctrine. We're going to guard the doctrine. We're going to make sure teaching's well. We're going to make sure there's no false teaching that comes into the church. The, over, the overseers will oversee discipline. Hopefully there's church discipline going on in the pews right now where we warn each other, we help each other, we correct each other. Hey, brother, I see this. Help me to understand what's going on in your life. Hey, sister, what's going on in this area of life? Right, that's, that's church discipline. That's soul care. But every once in a while, these very difficult situations arise, and we need to see the elders or the pastors. Pastor, help me with this situation. Help me with my spouse. Help me with this situation going on. Then this is where, in some ways, Moses will rally the troops and come through, right? And this is where the elders will come through and rally the troops to help out. The overseers will oversee counseling, and that's why we're we're, uh, investing in biblical counseling. We have an ACE class that we just uh, had today for the first uh, day today, and it's so encouraging. But also elders or overseers would oversee the management of physical resources, right? This is important because the, the resources that God has given us actually undergird the ministry of the word, undergird discipleship. So it's important that the overseers actually oversee the, the, uh, the, the finances of the church as well, right? So people have asked me, what is the org chart for Evergreen Baptist Church? What is the org chart for Evergreen Baptist Church? And I understand, like, you know, that's kind of the, some terms that we use to ex- describe our businesses and our, the workplace that we have, because we need to understand the chain of command. Let me explain very clearly. This is a very simple org chart, but I'll explain it to us. It's not going to be all detailed out, but this, this will be very clear. Number one, organizational org chart of Evergreen Baptist Church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church forever and ever. Amen. He sits on the throne, and we will be under him forever and ever. Amen. That never changes. And underneath that, someday when we vote in eldership, the elders will serve underneath Jesus Christ. There is no rivalry between Jesus Christ and the elders. Clearly, the elders are sitting under 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and he has under shepherds underneath them. Number three will be deacons. These are servant leaders. Servant leaders who are basically the hands and feet. So if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, we follow his direction, he's our source of life, Way underneath him is number two. The elders serve as the heartbeat of the church. So whatever the Lord wants, we are pumping blood, spiritual blood, through preaching of the word, through ministry of the word, to the deacons who will serve as the hands and feet of the church, who execute what Christ wants through the elders and then to the deacons. An example of this, our trustees. We have faithful men and women sitting on our trustees who oversee our finances and physical materials. It's, it's amazing. I, uh, Fred Kaushima, an executive board member, and I were able to sit in on their meeting this past Tuesday, led by Steve Ogata, and it was very encouraging. One of the sisters asked me, how does this work? And I said, well, I see the trustees as like deacons who are serving a valuable role. Or currently, we don't have eldership yet. However... Christ is always there forever and ever. For now, we have an executive board team. The executive board team acts as the overseeing body of our church underneath Christ, of course. And the executive board team has delegated financial oversight to their trustees. So the trustees will manage so many things that we cannot be entangled in as pastors and executive board members. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to provide much soul care. We'd be inundated with the day-to-day uh, handling and, and care of the finances, which requires uh, expertise, which requires time, all that. But the trustees are still underneath the authority of the executive board team. And someday when we have elders, and elders will oversee this, this uh, deacon uh, subcommittee, so to speak, and that's how it works. That is the organizational chart, an example through the trustees. Christ executive board team right now, Sunday elders, and then deacons. And I'll just have a side note here. I think I should say this. Uh, In my meeting, I want to give you a little report. We had a very uh, low August in our giving, which puts us our year-to-date deficit at a larger amount. So just to let you know, church, this is where we're at. And um, gratefully, the Lord has given us a huge surplus, yet we're still in a year-to-date deficit for this year. So we're hoping and praying for a fall as we would uh, care for the church. So everything is spiritual, meaning there is no uh, spiritual and unspiritual. They're all connected. They all undergird one another. Even uh, as the the early apostles assigned leaders to serve the tables to give widows food, that undergirded the work of the ministry. As Pastor Mako has preached, I think back in February, if you want to learn more about deacons, how deacon roles actually undergird and promote the word, a ministry of the word going out. That gives time for pastors and elders to study the word and to teach and minister the word. It's a, it's a great relationship. So without deacons, eldership doesn't work. Without deacons, eldership doesn't work. And gratefully, our church has a strong history of servants gratefully. I'm grateful for that. As I look out, there are a lot of great servants out there. We just need to get elders in place. Now, part of this sermon series also is to learn and to be able to identify who are potential 
elder candidates. As I, I said that at the beginning of our sermon series, here's a good way to see who might be an authorized soul care provider. Okay, Number one, are they doing it right now? As you close your eyes and think about pe- men in our church, who's actually caring for you and others right now? with or without the title of an elder. Who's doing that right now? It could be a vocational staff member, meaning a vocational pastor or vocational administrator of our church. It could be some a layman who has a a full-time day job someplace else, yet is loving and caring on you. They are teaching, they're counseling, they're encouraging, they're discipling, they're disciplining in their own interpersonal way. They're evangelizing, they're talking to you about people that they're evangelizing at work. They're bringing people to church to hear the gospel. This is what you're looking for. This is what you're looking for. It's pretty simple. You don't want an elder who steps up when he gets a title. That's not an elder. That's not an elder. I mean, even even before I was... uh, called to full-time ministry, that's what I did on the football team. That's what I did in my local church. It's just what you do. It's really, an elder is who you already are. And then, and then we recognize that and let the whole church see that and go, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And that's kind of, that's what you're looking for. Think through this church because weeks down the road, I'm going to keep asking, hey, do you, does anyone come to mind? This is a huge one. This is a huge one. Who is currently overseeing soul care uh, without even the title? Okay? So none of us necessarily are elders yet officially. So think through that. I'm, I'm thinking through paid staff, lay people who are members of our church. All right, let's get to the second point here. Healthy leaders are marked by submission. Submission. What does this mean? Well, let's look at verse 7 again. For the overseer, the bishop, must be beyond reproach. Man of excellence, as Jethro describes him, as God's steward, as God's steward. What's a steward? A steward is a manager, a guardian, another type of guardian, so to speak, of God's household. Titus 1.1, Paul calls himself a slave of God. I work for God. Titus 1.3 says, Paul's been entrusted with God's word. This is a steward. I've been working on a will, you know, a will, will and trust sort of a thing. So upon my death, uh, if I were to die early, well, my children are minors. We have some guardians in mind, you know, and on the paperwork is, is guardians. And so it's kind of like that. If I were to go, these people have been trusted with my kids. That's how it works. So imagine someone, God himself, entrusting the elders with his kids, right? We are all the children of God who are in Christ. This is what this feels like. This is the weight of responsibility here that we're talking about as we're thinking through and learning more about elders. Because elders will, or overseers will care for God's household, God's church, because Christ is the head of the church. So uh, a healthy leadership looks like someone who submitted. This is Christ's church, and I get to take care of his bride. What? This is what we're talking about. This is that level of submission. And what does submission look like? Number one, these people, these leaders are submitted to God's word, first and foremost. How does Christ lead his church? Does Christ come down and speak to us? Yes. 
Through the Bible. Through the Bible. John Calvin says the Lord Jesus Christ rule his, rules his church and the word is his scepter. Right? So Christ rules through his Bible. This is where you're looking for healthy leadership, wants to provide soul care, but he uses the word to care for the church. That's a good mark of like, okay, I could maybe see this man as an elder of our church. And in other words, the since we're submitted, elders are submitted, elders execute God's game plan. My old vernacular, executes God's game plan to care for the church. And also, since he is submitted to God's word, guess what? This, this is the one that really all of us need to think about. So if you're thinking maybe God's called me to be an elder, I want you to think about this next uh, thing I'm going to point, point out here. It, uh, so what does submission look like? This man is submitted to God's judgment. God's judgment. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders, submit to, the, to them, for they keep watch over your souls. They give soul care as those who will give an account. Unlike the father that dies on earth, Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to say, hey, how did you take care of my bride? The father's going to say, how did you take care of my kids? 1 Peter 5, 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, he's coming back, church, I will receive the unfading crown of glory. Right? The author of Hebrews says the same thing. Uh, Peter says the same thing. And Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Let a man consider us in this manner as servants of Christ or slaves of Christ, he says in, in Titus 1. And stewards, there it is again, of the mysteries of God. I'm recalled to steward under God's rule, God's account of, accounting of us, the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Faithfulness is where we're going to be judged. Not necessarily on the results. Paul plants, Apollo's waters, God causes the growth. Right? This is, it's, God does everything he wants on the result end of it. But elders are called to be faithful. And Paul goes on to say, the one who examines me is the Lord. The one who examines, he understood, Paul completely understood this fact here. So what is the key to faithful leadership? I, I think this is important. So you can see clearly elders are God's stewards. And keep your, put yourself in this situation. Sisters, as, as, a, as a wife, as a mother, God will hold you accountable for that leadership that you have over your children and how you encourage your spouse if you have a spouse. Employees, employers, that relationship, the boss, you will answer to God in terms of how you cared for your employees. Because at the end of the day, our physical children don't, do not belong to us. They're from God. At the end of the day, our finances don't belong to us. It all belongs to God. At the end of the day, our opportunities, our education, our work opportunities, it's a stewardship from God, right? This is all from God. It's for God. We're going to have to answer to him. But elders in a very special way. How did we care for his church, his children, his bride? Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2. 
just to the left, one, one book. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3 and 4. I, I want to encourage us by giving us the mindset of Paul because he, he understood. He was rightly motivated. And I want to help us with this because I sat through this and I'm like, man, that's weighty. That's weighty. And even James says, not all you be want to be teachers because you'll incur a stricter judgment. Right? So every New Testament author seems to talk about this. This is weighty. How do I motivate? How, how can I be properly motivated? Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4, I'm going to just briefly touch upon. This is this. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, another type of Titus, to suffer along with him. Ministry is challenging. Leadership ministry particularly is challenging. Absolutely challenging. It is unnatural to want to suffer. Right? So if you're suffering right now because you, as a dad, maybe you're a teacher, you got difficult students, maybe at boss, I mean, it's difficult. In ministry relationships, you sit as a leader and it's been difficult. You might be, we might be doing something wrong. So there's part of that. But there's a chance this is just par for the course. As leaders, particularly in ministry, we need to accept the fact that we, we're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a grind. Of course, it's, it's joyful and there's nothing better to do than this, but it's challenging. It's challenging. It's hard to offer soul care. Because it's easy to lead when there's no cost. If there's absolutely no cost, it's easy to lead. But leadership, anyone who's a leader worth his salt understands that there is a cost. We understand that. Because soul care, we're going to need to confront false teachers. To provide soul care, we're going to confront sin. I mean, as soul care providers, sometimes we need to make unpopular decisions. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. When did you, have you ever had to make a decision that your children didn't actually agree with? <laughs> right? I mean, you got to do it. You're accountable to God, and you love your children. As a boss, have you had to lay off people that you didn't want to do, but for the health of the business, you had to do that? That's all part of it. That's all part of it. So this is the life of the elder is suffering, but there's more. I'm going to read verse 4 to you, okay? That's fine. It's definitely right there. Suffer with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What is the motivation here? What is the motivation? Verse 4, no soldier in active service who's at war. So Paul has these metaphors where we're at spiritual war. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Meaning, his focus is not consumed by the day-to-day things of life. Somehow, the elder is not just staring at what's happening today in, in, in 2023. He's actually looking into heaven. Okay, this is where the motivation comes, gentlemen here. So that, he goes, he doesn't entangle himself with everyday uh, uh, affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. See that? His motivation is to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
It comes right down to this. Jethro talked about it as well in Exodus 18.21. A man of excellence must fear God. You fear God. And this is a very important thing that we understand, church, whether it's in leadership or anything regarding faithfulness, particularly when there's a cost. You either fear God or you fear something else, like you fear man. If you fear man as a, as a, as a dad, you fear your wife more than you fear God, you're not going to lead very well. If you fear your employees or the customers more than God, you're not going to lead very well as a Christian boss. If you fear the sheep more than, uh, than the uh, God himself, you're not going to be a faithful shepherd. So who you fear is who you will obey, in other words. Everyone wants to be liked. I get that. I mean, who doesn't like to be liked? Everyone wants to say pleasing things and encouraging things, hopefully, right? That's, that's kind of how many of us are wired, particularly if you're a Christian. But who you fear is the one who you serve. And example of this, a vivid example, 1 Samuel 15, 24, where King Saul, he was told to uh, obey God and uh, not take any spoils and annihilate the enemies. Well, he kept the king, he kept a bunch of treasure and spoil, and then Samuel the prophet confronts him in 1 Samuel 15, and then this is Saul's answer, and he is quite honest, and I'm grateful that, he, that the Bible records this, because this is really the issue of why we don't obey God as Christians. I have sinned, Saul finally admitted to that. I have indeed trespassed against the command of Yahweh, that's God, and your words. Why, King Saul? He diagnoses his own issue. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, church, if we have a small view of God, small view of God, or imbalanced view of God, like he's all love and all merciful, and it doesn't matter, it's all grace, that may give us an imbalanced view of who he is and lead to disobedience. You see, I'll just share my own heart with you. What's helped me in these last six plus years, going on seven years as a pastor, it has been, um, it's been a joy and privilege of a lifetime. But I'm giving you my heart so that if you're thinking about even thinking about nominating or, uh, uh, what is that, recommending somebody or even for yourself as you're thinking, I want to raise my hand and be an elder. I want you to think through this a little bit. It's challenging. It's challenging. And in our biblical counseling class, Pastor Jeremy talked about goals and hopes and expectations. And those are fine things as long as it's under what God wants. And he, he was just talking about for ourselves only as people. Like, you know, these expectations internally could rob you of your joy. In other words, it could cause you to lash out and to make these things an idol. But what's challenging is this. Ministry goes beyond yourself. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? It's hard enough for your own self to see your own heart change. What you're praying and ministering and feeding and counseling and disciplining towards is other people's change too. That's way more out of your control. You see, church, 
This is about the heart. This is even beyond our own, right? You're praying that your kids will come to Christ. You're praying that your grandchildren will uh, walk away from sin and turn to Christ. You're praying that your spouse and you're praying that your good friend sitting right next to you will be faithful to the Lord. But you know, as I do, all the pleading, all the begging, all the even good Bible studies, they may, they, it's up to God. God causes the growth. So how do you keep going in that instance then as a faithful minister for years and years and years? So this is what God has taught me. Remain, focus on being faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 has been burned and seared into my, my heart. Be faithful. Steward must be found faithful. And no human court can judge me. Because as an as a elder, you will be misjudged. People will misunderstand you. You'll get emails and all kinds of comments uh, thrown your way, you know? Sometimes they're right, and just so, so chew the fruit, spit out the seeds, eat the chicken, spit out the bones. So there's some truth, so eat some of it. But there is a side of it where you will be misjudged. But Paul says, no human court can judge me. But the one who judges me is the one who's thro- sitting in the throne of heaven. In church, I mean, there's such an encouragement in that, that God is judge. And if you let just marinate into that, that actually grows your fear of the Lord because he is the one who holds the, the gavel upon your, the faithfulness of your life. Everyone else may have an opinion, but God is the one who renders judgment Certainly as a Christian, we're forgiven and we're saved by the blood of Christ. Yet there will be some kind of accounting that takes place. So when we're seeing things as before the throne of God above, we should be thinking, God, I'm going to see you someday. When I read Isaiah 6, and angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. Does that affect your soul in a way? When I read Revelation 1, when John sees the risen Lord in heaven and he's glowing like the sun, his eyes are a flame of fire, does that do something to you? It needs to. It needs to elevate your love and affection and respect and awe and reverence and fear of God. That's what it needs to do. This is the key to being faithful Church, this is it right there, even in your own lives. Even if you don't serve as an elder. Grow in your fear of the Lord. And thank God he's holy, which also means he's loving and gracious. Amen? That should also raise our affection for him, because, wow, you're so gracious with me. You're so patient with me. Yet you're so mighty, and you're amazing. You're going to render judgment against sinners, Someday, and you're going to evaluate every single thing that I did. And when that day comes, everyone will see what I did before and what I thought and said and, and done in the dark and in the lights. But this should raise your affection. But also, as a saved man, the Lord will say, I paid for all that. Come into the joy of the Master. I mean, does that not lift your heart up? Does that not want to make you more faithful to the Lord? You see, to understand the the glories and beauties of Christ, we need to understand it all. We need to understand the darkness that we embody. None of it's swept under a rug. It is handled and addressed publicly and it's known. But Jesus Christ says, 
I pay the price for him. How can you not want to be faithful after that? But we need to think about that. We need to think about the glories of Christ. We need to think about his love. So friends, if you're not a Christian, basically that's the hope that we have as Christians. Meaning, we're all sinners and it's all going to be known. What you're thinking right now is going to be known. But the, the forgiven man or woman has been covered by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ has paid for your sins if you have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? That just, that just blows my mind. Sorry, I, I, went, I went kind of beyond what I had in my notes there. <laughs> but that's, that's really the, what the Lord has helped refine in me the last six years. I thought I understood this as a coach. I think I understand it better now. So the, the other benefits is if, you, if God calls you to be an elder, is that it, the Lord is going to sanctify you. You're going to love Christ more. That, that is the greatest benefit of this role, that you're going to know and love Christ more. I just want to apply this to our church a little bit, okay, uh, before I get to my last point here. I've talked about the elder or the overseer submitted, submitted to Christ. But I believe the church, in order to function well, there needs to be a mutual submission. There needs to be a mutual submission. As I think about this more, and obviously the mutual submission starts with the leaders. I mean, you need to know that the leaders are submitted to Christ. Why? Because they provide soul care. Why? They're ministering the word of God. Why the, the, the leaders act as if they're going to be accountable to the Lord. I mean, all that. Men of excellence. So I think it definitely starts with the leaders. But also, what is the sheep's role in relating to the under-shepherds of Christ, right? The sheep need to be properly submitted to Christ. Let me read Hebrews thirteen seventeen. I mean, that's just, that one verse speaks so much. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Pretty clear right there, right? Now, does that mean I have some kind of special authority over you? Like I tell you how to live your life, how do you spend your money? Absolutely not. Of course, if, if you're doing something that violates the scriptures, that is so clear, if it's sin, then we will obviously talk about that. But in essence, I don't have any special authority over your lives other than I get to Minister the word along, along with other elder, future elders, the word to you so that you are biblically informed so you have the mind of Christ so you can make some good uh, spirit energized uh, uh, truth to apply to your life. This is how this works, church. The more you're fed and have the mind of Christ, God enlightens your mind at the right time to fight temptation, to make decisions, to, to be convicted of sin, so forth and so on. That's how this works. And our role is to keep feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, feeding you. So obey your leader and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who are given account, so that they would do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. So... Just like a husband and wife relationship, I believe, gentlemen, the leadership starts with us. Adam, where are you, right? We talked about that. But sisters, you have a huge hand in encouraging your men to lead well. By your respect, by your submission, certainly speak your mind, certainly share your gifts Because it could be discouraging having a rebellious wife. It could be discouraging for a pastor to have rebellious sheep too, right? So, so, do it, so that they do this with joy, not with groaning, for this will be unprofitable for you. A, a, a pastor that's burdened 
is not a very helpful pastor. Not a helpful pastor. So mutual submission. Let's finish up the final point here. Building teams has been something that I've done by God's grace for almost 30 years. And uh, we knew this, though. If a player became a starter or in a professional way, coach would say, the good coach would say, hey, watch this guy. He's about to get paid. I mean, big money here. And why do we say that? When someone becomes a starter, someone gets thrown on the poster for the, for the team, someone gets paid, sometimes people change, right? A lot of times people change. And so anytime people are elevated in power, position, prominence, popularity, platform, money, there, there's a temptation to change. So that's why 1 Timothy 3.16 says, not a new convert so that they will be conceited. You have to be a mature man to be able to handle the responsibility. It's a public platform. There's temptation in that. So third and finally, the third point is healthy leaders are marked by sanctification. Sanctification. Verse 7 and 8, I'm just going to go briefly over these things. Not self-willed. Not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. I'm just going to explain some of these fairly quickly here. Why not self-willed? This means you're stubborn and you're arrogant. That means you got to have it your way every single time. I mean, someday when we have elders, a senior pastor could get outvoted with what I want. Which is fine. It needs to be that way. I cannot be self-willed. This is a recipe for a bad teammate for self-willed people. Maybe if you do an individual sport, not in a team sport. That doesn't work. I want to do my thing. No, that doesn't fit to the overall picture. That's very divisive. So we need to understand the difference preference and biblical convictions. Biblical convictions are rock-solid truths that you can't compromise. Elders need to hold on to these things. These things need to hold on to us. But there's preferences that aren't clear in the scriptures. Are you willing to die to these things if the majority thinks this is what's best? And then afterwards say, you know what? This is what we decided. Let's make, let's make this a great decision. No belly aching up to the side. None of that. That's how this works. So therefore, the elders need to have shared convictions doctrinally shared convictions in terms of philosophy of ministry as well. Five different uh, doctrines, five different um, philosophy of ministry, that's not going to be a very good elder team. Number two, not quick-tempered, but peaceable and patient. I mean, this is a hothead, in other words. I mean, this guy gets angry all of a sudden. All right, that's not good. It's not good on the elder team and not good as a shepherd because... There are wounded sheep who bite sometimes. And you need to be patient. There are confused sheep who may not understand right away. You need to be patient. There are sheep that just need a vent once in a while. And you just hold on to the sheep and listen and pray for them. All right, this is how this works. This is how this works. Number three, not addicted to wine. Self-explanatory. You can't be high on drugs, addicted to drugs. What does Ephesians 5 says? Say, uh, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, these need to be Spirit-filled men who know the Word of God, who are the Word of God is the greatest influence in his life. Number four, not pugnacious. What is that? It literally means a striker. It's, like a, it's a bully. 
You know, like we hear about bullying today. There is no room for bullying in the church, obviously, at any level, particularly at the elder level. You can't be a bully, okay? You need to, an elder is like a loving yet firm father. Can't be a wimp either, but a loving and firm father. Number five, not fond of dishonest gain. This one is talked about everywhere. Whether Timothy, also uh, Jethro mentioned it, meaning motivation is money, and, and even I would say add to prestige, your own platform, my, my, uh, your own uh, influence uh, in an un- ungodly way. John 10 talks about the hirelings, the hired hand who, who will run when the wolves come. An elder needs to stand in the gap and take the pressure of the, uh, of the enemy. If your motivation is for money or for your own prestige, you're going to run. It has to be a greater motivation. You have to be looking to the heavens. You have to be staring at the one who sits on the throne of God above. Number six, hospitable. Loving strangers, in other words. In Crete, in that day, how they would show hospitality was to house traveling uh, evangelists because they didn't have any uh, hotels and motels back then. Today, how accessible are you? Can people talk to you? Can people grab you after service and, and, and talk to you? Can people email you? Can you have a coffee? Are you, are you approachable? Can a sheep come to you and tell you their concerns? How they're doing? That's important. Number seven, loving what is good. God is good. Therefore, you love what God loves. You cultivate what God's, what's on God's heart. Number eight, sensible. That means you're under control. You're a prioritized man. You are able to eliminate distractions. I, there's a lot of distractions even in the church. Are we fixed on Christ and discipleship? I mean, laser focus. Where all the noise is out here, but you're able to stay focused. An elder needs to, need to be sensible and be ordered and focused. Number nine, righteous. I think this is talking about how you treat other people, the righteous treatment of other people. Certainly we're all called to be righteous, but as an elder, we need to treat people f- lovingly, fairly. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify this a little bit. As parents, we don't treat all our children the same, right? If you do, you're not very skillful as a parent, right? You, you, we understand this. That's all I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, being here, uh, like I said, six plus years, I know the flock better now. I know the needs of our people better now. I and mean, all sheep are not the same. Therefore, you don't treat everyone exactly the same. Everybody has different ways, different needs, different ways, uh, circumstances, different ways to reach them. However, the standard is the same. You, you hear what I'm saying, church? We don't back off the standard of Christ, the word of God, yet how we treat people, how we, some people you could go right directly, others takes time, takes a little more gentleness. If I'm talking to a, an older man who sinned, do I talk to him as a father? An older brother, a younger brother, do I talk to him as a younger brother? Older, older woman, do I talk to her like as a, as a mother? A younger sister, do I talk to her like a sister? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a family. It's a family. Finally here, holy and self-controlled. Holy, that means you're set apart. You actually are a sanctified vessel in the hands of an awesome God to be used in a useful way. And finally, self-controlled. Self-controlled means that this is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just say that much. It's hard to lead if you haven't led yourself well. 
hear what I'm saying? It's hard to lead others when you yourself are not bridled, are not self-controlled. You have to win that internal battle first before you can lead anybody well. And, and I'm going to tell you what that big battle is. Who do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? As you grow in that battle, as God helps you in that, and you have a better, higher view of God, I promise you, you will lead more faithfully. And in conclusion here, I just want to apply this to us. Maybe you're sitting here, I see a lot of young faces, and um, maybe you're thinking, why not me? Maybe a certain job opportunity has passed. Someone else got that. Maybe you want a wife. Maybe you want children. Maybe you want to serve on the elder team. Which is great. What are all great desires. But I'll just say this much. The Father in heaven is doing what's best for you right now. Because maybe you're just not quite ready for the responsibilities and the pressure and the temptation that comes with those higher levels of jobs or money or even having a spouse. The stakes are way higher the higher you go up. The fall is greater the higher you go up. It is. It is. And so perhaps the Lord is giving you soul care right now. And he is taking care of you. And the other side of it is perhaps he's preparing you too. Just know that God, the Father's timing is perfect. And as he ordains things in your life, whether in the negative, meaning a no or a yes answer to these things, you could sleep at night knowing that the Father above is sovereign and he's, he's the ultimate soul care provider. Amen? That's the God that we serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us. Thank you for these clear marks that you give us out of Titus 1. Thank you that you love us so much. As Pastor Terry talked about, you provide leaders to care for our souls. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray for elders to be raised up and to be recognized at Evergreen Baptist Church. I pray, Father, that you would provide men who have a glorious view of Christ who's in heaven. The holy, holy, holy Son of God. The one who's coming back on a white horse with eyes of flame of fire because he sees everything. Dressed in white because he's pure and holy and just. Yielding a sword because there's no one mightier than him. By his word, he's able to destroy, he's able to build. So, Father, give us a more glorious view. Show us your glory as Moses prayed through your scriptures. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.